God. Uh, this being Mission Sunday, I'm going to title this message today, There's No Business Like Soul Business. No business like soul business. Has anyone ever heard there's no business like show business? Well, I've got something better for you. There's no business like what? Like soul business. There's no business like soul business. That's, that's, a, that's, that's something we ought to really think about. There's no business like what? There's no business like soul business. I've never heard anybody else say that, so... That may be original with me. There's no business like soul business. And that's the truth. You know, in Proverbs, the 11th chapter, we find the secondary motive for being soul winners. Uh, The secondary motive, you know what secondary means, don't you? What does secondary mean? It's not the most important. It'd be second to something else. So let's look at the secondary motive to soul winning, that Proverbs 11.30, the last part of that verse says, He who wins souls is what? Is wise. And then, okay, so so we understand that, but to really understand what what he means there, what the Lord means there, look at Daniel 12, verse 3. So he who wins souls is wise. But in Daniel 12, verse 3, Daniel says, or the Holy Spirit through Daniel says, Those who are wise, now who are wise people? Those who do what? So, so wise people win souls. And those who are wise. Now who are wise people? Soul winners. Those who are wise. Or we could say like this. The soul winners shall what? Shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So you see. The secondary motive to soul winning is the reward that that we're going to receive from the Lord one day for being soul winners. And the Bible tells us here that in in eternity we'll shine like the brightness of the firmament. And uh, those who turn many to righteousness, we're going to shine like the stars forever. So, So that's a good deal for us eternally. And you need to think about it when you tell people about the Lord, you're really investing in your eternity. You're investing in your eternity. But, but that's just secondary. Secondary. The primary motive for winning people to the lost really has nothing to do about you or me. It has to do about the person that we're telling uh, Jesus about. And that's found in James 5 verse 20. Notice James 5 verse 20. This is the primary motive for soul winning. James 5 verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner... From the error of his way shall save a soul from what? From death. Notice it didn't say save a body from death. How many of you know if Jesus tarries his coming, we're all going to die physically. Is that, is that right? So this isn't talking about physical death. This is talking about spiritual eternal death. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. Eternal death in hell, you see. And cover a multitude of sins. So the primary motive for being a soul winner doesn't have anything to do with you or me. It has to, it has to do with investing in somebody else's future. Is that, is that right? Going to keep them out of hell and 
put them in heaven for, for eternity. You understand that. So the, the primary, primary means main or the first, or the, the, the main motive for being a soul winner is investing in somebody else's future. And the secondary motive for being a soul winner is investing in your future, you see. Did, did you get that? Because, you see, their future, you're going to keep them out of hell and put, get them in heaven by telling them about Jesus. That's primary. Secondarily, then you're investing in your future because you'll be rewarded with brightness and glory. So, so, so there you have the motives for, for soul business. Then there's no business like what? Like soul business. And, you know, when we talk about soul winning, you know, Jesus, now listen to this, Jesus likens soul winning to catching fish. Any, do I have any fishermen in here? I, I know there's a few fishermen. I know Dan Bauer took me fishing one time. Uh, I went with him and Dale, and I was doing fine until a snake came along the top of the water, and then I was ready to go home. Boy, those guys get up early. To... But anyway, we had a good time. But Jesus likened soul winning to catching fish, didn't he? And he said to his disciples, you know, some of his disciples were fishermen. They, they f- were fishermen. And they were professional fishermen. And uh, he said to some of his disciples who were fishermen, I mean, Peter, James, and John, they were fishermen. He said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. I'll teach you how to ca- catch a man. Catch, catch f- fishers of men. In other words, he, he's saying, now, up till now you've been catching fish. But he said, now... I'm going to make you fishers of men. What do you mean? I'm going to make you soul winners, you see. That's what he was talking about. And uh, with that in mind, I want to tell you a fish story. Has anybody ever heard of a fish story? I want to tell you a fish story. Now listen to this. Fred the fisherman went into prayer. And he began to pray. And his desire was to catch fish. And so he prayed to God that he would catch a lot of fish. And he asked him fervently in prayer. Great deep intercession to be able to catch a lot of fish. The next morning Fred put on his fishing gear. And got his fishing poles ready in his tackle box. And the worms. How many likes the worms? I never like putting worms on the hook. I always have Diane do that for me. So he gets up. So what did Fred do the night before he'd been praying? What did he want to do? He wanted to what? Catch a lot of fish. And so the next morning, he gets up, puts on his fishing gear. He gets his fishing poles, tackle box. He gets all that ready. And then he goes in and he sits down at his kitchen table, waiting for God to answer his prayer. Where did he go? That same morning at a lake near Fred the fisherman's house, a school of fish woke up and said to themselves, Today we want Fred the fisherman to catch us. So the fish swam to the surface of the lake, then over to the bank. They put on their water tanks as opposed to oxygen tanks, then flopped up out of the lake and flopped all the way over to Fred's house. One of the fish rang Fred's doorbell. Fred got up from his kitchen table, went over to the front door and opened it, opened it. And all the fish said in unison, Fred, have you got your poles and hooks ready? Here we are. Catch us. 
Now, I made that story up myself. And it's a fish story. You know, fish stories are usually not true, correct? You know, I caught a fish that was that big. Right? I'm, I'm kind of telling the truth, but I'm kind of not, right? I caught a fish that was that big, right? You get it? Of course, this story is laughable. This is never going to happen. Fish are going to wake up and put on their water tanks and flop over to Fred's house. It's never going to happen. Is it? Fred, I mean, Fred has to do something besides go to the kitchen table. He has to go. We're allowed to say go. He has to go to the lake. He has to bait the hook with the right bait and cast the hook into the water and so on and so forth. Now, while this story is laughable, this fish story is laughable, yet when it comes to soul winning, many Christians are just like Fred the fisherman. And this is where the fish story becomes very true and very sad. But something to think about. When it comes to soul winning, many Christians are like Fred the fisherman. I've been like Fred the fisherman. I don't want to be like Fred the fisherman. And Christians will do this. They'll pray that sinners will get up on Sunday morning... And come to the church to get saved. Now this can happen, especially if a sinner is invited to church. But the majority of the time, like 99% of the time, you know, sinners are not going to be like that school of fish. They're not going to wake up on Sunday morning and say, hey, let's get up early and get ready and let's go to church and get saved. We're going to have to go out and catch them, aren't we? Is that right? No, I, I shared that fish story to get you to thinking. While that fish story is laughable, the school of fish aren't ever going to go over to Fred's house. No more than the sinners are ever going to get up and just go to church. They have to be invited. But more than that even, we have to go out and get them. Can you say amen? That makes good sense, doesn't it? It's like Christians praying that the right president will get elected. I've watched this for 30 years. I pray, pray, pray that the right president gets elected. But then they don't go out and vote. Now what kind of sense does that make? It nullifies all the praying. You can pray till you're blue in the face, but if you don't go out and vote, your praying is for naught. You okay? And, and I've watched over the many years, not only in this church, but in, in many other churches, I've watched altar workers get so discouraged, and it, and it breaks my heart, they get so discouraged that sinners seldom come to the altar to get saved after a church service. So the next time you get discouraged, if you're an altar worker, that there's not a lot of people coming to, forward to get saved, just remember the story of Fred the Fish. And that should encourage you that, you see... In a church service, a church service, and a lot of times people don't understand this, but you need to. A local church, the service itself 
is not really biblically, should not be biblically set up to win the lost. Did you get what I just said? Now, if some lost people come, you know, we always make an altar call pretty much at the end of the service and all of that. But the the local running of the local church is not for winning the lost because typically the lost aren't going to be in the local church on a Sunday morning. The, the, The local church is set up to train you, the saints, to go out and win the lost Bring them to church, and it's kind of like a fish. You go out and catch them. What do you do when you catch fish? You then bring them home and clean them. Is that, is that right? If you're a fisherman, you'd understand that. You never clean the fish before you catch it. You've got to catch it first. So you catch it and then take it home and clean it. See, a church is supposed to be like a cleaning center for fish. You're the fisherman. You go out and catch the fish. Then you bring them to church and the pastoral teaching ministry cleans them. Did you get what I just said? Now, now thank God, people can get saved in the, in the local church, but, but, but that's just a very, very small percentage of people are going to get saved in any local church. Primarily, the saints, that would be you and, and me, we go out and tell people about the Lord, we catch them, we bring them to church, and then they come in and then we clean them. We t- what do you mean clean them? We teach them the word. The word's like water. Water cleans things. Is that correct? We teach and we train. And then those people go out and win the lost, more lost. And then they bring them. Did you see how it's supposed to work? But I think unfortunately a lot of people have this mentality that Christians are just, or sinners are just going to get up. Sinners are just going to get up, come to the church and just wait for the pastor to make the altar call for them to come get saved. Now that, that might happen here and there, but that's by far the exception and not the rule. Did, did you get what I just said? And again, a local church is, 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 is not a fish catching center, if you will. It is a fish what? Cleaning place. You okay? Are you okay with that? Now, now, you know, just to give you a little proof on it, let's give you some scripture. Does anybody know what the Great Commission is? It, Jesus said what? Go into all of, So that's the Great Commission. One, one, one missionary said this. It's the, really the only commission. The Great Commission, and, and you need to realize Mark... There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark gives us one side of the Great Commission, and Matthew gives us another side of it. Let's go to Mark 16, first of all. Because a lot of folks don't know this, so, so you need to know this. This would just be helpful to all of us to hear this. Mark 16:15. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, to his... Now, these people were already caught. They were already saved. Do you know what I mean? So he said to his fishermen, what did he say to them? That go and sit at the kitchen table like Fred. Is that, is that what he said? No, he said, what did he say? He said, go. Fred had to go to the lake, didn't he? So he said to, the, to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or every person. You know, I, I'll just say this. You've heard of preaching and teaching. I, I like what one minister said, and it's so true. He said, you preach the gospel to the sinner, you teach the word to the saint. 
Did you get that? You preach the gospel. See, Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing. He would preach the gospel to the lost, and he'd teach the word to the saved. Did you get that? We preach the gospel to the lost, and we teach the word to the saved. You sit down and start teaching the Word of God to somebody who's not saved, they're not going to understand much of anything what you're saying. Did you get what I just said? That's why to the lost, you just give a simple gospel message that Jesus loves them. You understand that? And that believe, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice here, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every person. He who believes is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. You okay? And, and just something else. And so that's a great commission. And this is what is known as the soul winning side of the great commission. See the soul winning side. The, really the most important side of it is going into all the world and preaching. Preaching the gospel to the lost. Now, it's interesting, and in just a little side note here that I'll, I'll make, it just, just may just interest me, it may not interest you at all, but, but I'll, I'll just say it anyway. Uh, I was raised in a Baptist church. Thank God for the Baptists. Can you say amen? amen? And I'm still a Baptist at heart, but I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know. And, and so then I came over among the Charismatics, which is just kind of an offshoot of the Pentecostals. How many remember the Charismatics, you know? And, and, and it's interesting, verses 15 and 16, the Baptists emphasized verses 15 and 16. That's what the Baptists, and, and they, they shied away from 17 and 18. 15 and 16, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes, baptized, be saved. He who does not believe, be condemned. And again, you know that you, water baptism, you get water baptized after you're saved. Is that right? And I could teach a whole message on that. But nonetheless... The Baptists put all the emphasis on verse 15 and 16. But then when I came over among the Charismatics, they put all the emphasis on verses 17 and 18. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they'll cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, drink anything, so on and so forth. Lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. That's where the Charismatics put their emphasis on verses 17 and 18. I think we ought to put our emphasis on all of it. What do you, what do you say? That's why we're Baptocostal, you see. That's why I tell people when they, when they say, what kind of church are you? Baptocostal. I've never heard of that one. So then see, it gives me a chance to explain. But if we're going to, if we, if we had to choose verses 15 or 16, verses 17 or 18, you want to take verses 15 and 16. Is that right? But God is an also God. We can also have verse 17 and 18. Is that right? It's kind of like somebody asked one time, well, if, do I choose, if I have to choose between getting saved or getting healed, which should I choose? Well, get saved. But God's an also God, you can have both. Is that right? He's a good God, you can have both. Is that right? But you see, in Mark 16, you have the soul winning side. That You have the fish catching side of the Great Commission. But if you go to Matthew 28... You'll see the cleaning side. You know the cleaning side? So you've got to catch the fish and then you've got to clean them. Is that right? And in Matthew 28, now we've got the cleaning side of the Great Commission. Notice Matthew 28. This is Matthew's account 
of what we just read in Mark. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make what? See, now this is the cleaning side. And you've got to put Matthew and Mark together to get the fullness of what Jesus said. Make disciples, make disciplined ones. See, so you go and you preach the gospel to the sinner and you get them saved. And then you bring them to the local church and you make disciples of them, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what's verse 20 say? What does it say? Teaching them. See, you preach the gospel to the lost and you teach the word to the saint. When you become a saint, the minute you believe on Jesus. See, this Matthew's account gives the cleaning side, the developing side, where you develop a Christian into a disciple, a, a new convert, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. So do you see that? So you go out, and we should all be soul winners, we go out and we catch the fish, go into all the world, preach the gospel, go out and catch the fish, and then we bring them to the local church, for them to be taught and clean. Did you, you get that? Do you understand that? Ephesians 4.10 will give us a little bit more on this cleaning side. Notice this. Ephesians 4.10 says, He who descends, this is talking about Jesus. He, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, we just read in, in, in Mark and Matthew about Jesus ascending. Right before he ascended, he gave the great commission. He said, essentially, go catch the fish and then clean them. You okay with that? Go catch them and then go preach, preach the gospel to them. Go catch them and then make disciples out of them and teach them. You okay? But here in Ephesians 4, he gives us a little more. Notice in verse 11, and he gave some what? Some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... Now, why did he give them for the what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, that work of the ministry, see that my job, see a lot of people don't understand this. They think that the preacher is the only one that's supposed to do the work of the ministry. But if you understand what he's saying here, what the Apostle Paul is saying here and the Holy Spirit is saying here is that my job is to equip you. See, my work is to equip you for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? To go out and win the lost. Did you get that? But if you ask most people who's supposed to do the work of the ministry, they're going to say the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, the teacher. In other words, the preacher is supposed to do the work of the ministry. But what this is saying here is I've been given as a pastor and a teacher to equip you for the work of the ministry. See, my work is to equip you to do your work. Do you get that? My work is to equip you to do your work. My work as a pastor and a teacher is to teach you, clean you up with the Word of God, get you prepared to go out and do your work. You okay? You all right with that? And see, that's the function of the local church. I want to say it again. The function of the local church is... I'm talking inside these four walls here now. Do you get what I'm talking about? Inside these four walls. Right here, what we're doing this morning, primarily, primarily, you're not going to have sinners just get up and come and sit and wait for me to preach the gospel to them to get them saved. Do you understand that? 
I mean, I've, pre- I've watched that for 30 years. I mean, occasionally you'll have some people come, they were invited, and they'll come get saved. But primarily, this is a cleaning time for me to clean you, teach you, equip you. You okay? You understand that? For you then to go out and tell people about Jesus. Are you alright with that? Okay? I just want to be sure you got that now. Because a lot of people don't understand it. They think the sinner is just going to automatically peer up, appear here at the church. And I've talked with so many pastors and it, I mean, just it, it, it doesn't work that way. You have to go out and catch them. We all have to. See I'm, see, I'm a soul winner just like you're a soul winner. We all have to go out in our daily lives and tell people about Jesus and go, go share the gospel. And then invite them to come, bring them. And so they're usually already ought to be saved before they even get here. Is that right? And then we clean them up. We clean them. Cleaning center. Are you all right with that? Does that throw you off some? Now that doesn't mean we can't preach the gospel. I remember in the Baptist church, and again, I love the Baptists. I, I, I still am a Baptist at heart. But every Sunday, just about every Sunday, they'd preach a... Salvation message. Just about every Sunday. And thank God for the salvation message. But why do you want to teach the salvation message week in and week out and week in and week out and week in and week out to people that are already saved? Doesn't make any sense, does it? And so in the in the Baptist church, I only could I only grew just so far and then, you know, and I knew a lot about salvation and water baptism. And thank God. And sometimes they would preach on some other things, but primarily it, the place I went was just a salvation message week in and week out. Thank God for it. Now, it is interesting. When I came over among the charismatics, I didn't hear as much about salvation. And, I caught, and, and, and to be honest with you, when I came over among the charismatics, I lost some of that passion for soul winning. Because we were putting so much emphasis on the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. We need to have them both, don't we? But the main thing I want you to get out of that is I just want you to understand that, that sinners don't wake up on Sunday morning and just swim over to the church and want to get caught. Do you get You got that? Now, now again, like I said, sometimes you have a sinner come in. Sometimes that does happen. But that's the exception and not the rule, at least in my experience. Listen to this. I think you'll find this interesting. Uh, Tony Cook, who is a a friend of mine, he was uh, the head of uh, Rama Ministerial Association. That's the... uh, Rama out of Tulsa that we're associated with. He, he, he was with them for years and years. A wonderful minister. He's ministered here before for me. And he's ministered to you. And he's a wonderful, wonderful minister. One of the best ministers of the gospel I've ever seen. And he made this statement. Listen to this. I think it's good. He said this. He said, it's always good to hear about quality ministry taking place inside the church. Inside the church building. And that's good. He says, it's always good to hear about good quality ministry taking place inside the church building. But that's not where all the ministry is to occur. One study of Jesus's... Now listen to this. One study of Jesus's ministry encounters revealed that... Now somebody went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and they looked at... Apparently Tony Cook did this and looked at 
all the different contacts that Jesus had with different people. And if you add them all up, he, Jesus made contact with 132 people in the gospel accounts. And not counting the multitudes now, but just like Bartimaeus, woman with the issue of blood, Jairus, Nicodemus, the maniac of Gadara. I mean, I'm just naming a few just off the top of my head. Did I leave? That man that was lowered. Can you think of anybody else? I mean, rich young ruler. The lepers. Right? So, so uh, 132. Now listen to this. Jesus made contact with 132 people in the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now listen, this is, this is what I want you to get. Six of those were in the temple. And four were in the synagogues. So what's six and four? So in other words, of the 132 people that Jesus individually came in contact with and had interaction with, only ten of them took place inside what we would call the four walls of the church. And the other 122 contacts he made were in the field of life. What's that saying? If Jesus would have just stayed inside the synagogues and the temples and ministered, he'd only, we only have 10 instances. And thank God for those. But where did he reach the, all these other people? Not inside the four walls of the church, but where? Outside in everyday life. Isn't that right? I'm, I'm not demeaning the, the, the inside the four walls of the church. I mean, that's important. I mean, my goodness. You could never overemphasize how important church is. But if all we have is what happens inside these four walls, and we never let, let what's on the inside of us get onto the outside to the lost and dying world, what good is it all? You Okay. Are you all right with that? Sobering to think about, isn't it? You know, when Saul got saved, and what was his name after he got saved? Paul. He started winning souls immediately. You ought to read his life sometimes. He, he gets saved, he becomes Paul. And, and he went just in a short time, just, just a couple of few days time, he went from being a killer of Christians to a... Preacher of the gospel. And when he got saved, he became a soul winner immediately. It took a, a few years before he entered the ministry and began God, before God began using him to write the Bible. And it's interesting, as you look at the Apostle Paul, you know, we always look at him as an apostle and a prophet and a teacher. And God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And, and that's all good and should be respected. But he was a soul winner first. That was what, if you ask Paul, if he was here right now, he said, what, what, what are you first? You know what, he wouldn't emphasize, I'm confident because I know the man. How do you know Paul? Yeah, I know him. How do you know him? I've spent time in what he wrote. I've never met him personally, but I, you know, I know Jesus. You know, well, yeah, how do I know? From the Word of God. You better know him or you're not going to go to heaven. Is that right? But I know Paul, and I know, I know him from reading his letters. 
And he wouldn't put... Now, now he did write different times and he, and he defended his apostleship and all of that. He did that because he, he needed to, because people were questioning him. But the one thing he put above, apostle, prophet, teacher, all of that, was that he was a soul winner. Real I'd say soul winner. We're a soul winner first before we're anything else. People sometimes ask me, what are you? What are you, pastor? Are you a pastor? You t-? Well... You know what, I, I don't, I'm not so concerned about those other titles. One title that I do covet is Soul Winner. Did you hear me? Soul Winner. I'm a, I'm a pastor and a teacher, but, I, but I'm a, we want to be soul winners first. Is that right? And Paul would, would emphasize his soul winning. You know, he won souls everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. Put him in jail, he wins souls. Put him on an island, he wins souls. It didn't matter. Put him on a ship, he wins souls. He's winning souls everywhere he went. I want to be like that. Don't you? If you have the heart of the Lord, that's what's going to be most important to you. If you have the, the attitude of what Jesus wants. Paul won souls everywhere he went. Listen to this. He lived to be an old man and he never lost that excitement. He never did. I think of when I was a young boy and my uncle would come to take me fishing. Just a couple of times he would come and he was a teamster. And he'd take us over, me and my mom, and we'd go and some other folks, and we'd go over to the Teamster camp. Has anybody ever heard of the Teamster camp, you know, over in Peavily? And boy, when he'd call to make that appointment that we were going fishing, I would get so excited. I mean, I'd just start spinning like a top. I got all my gear ready days before. And I counted my fishing poles and my hooks and my had my tackle box and my mom counted the worms and but I mean I was couldn't wait and I remember I counted the days up until it was time to go fishing. I remember I still remember I went to bed early while the sun was still up because I knew if I could get to sleep the time would pass quicker and I'd be I'd just my uncle would be there and I'd get up before the crack of dawn. And I remember I said, oh, please don't rain. We don't want it to rain because I want to go fishing. Now from the time I was a kid to the time that Dan and Dale took me fishing, was it Dale did you take I don't know, maybe 30 years passed. And you know when Dan and Dale took me fishing, this was some years ago, I wasn't as excited about getting up at 4.30 in the morning. I lost some of my excitement. Now, I love those guys, and I love going fishing, and I was doing good until what happened? Until that snake came along the top of the water. And Dan said, no, don't worry about that, Terry. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, get me out of here. But you know what? I had lost some of my excitement for fishing over a 30-year span. It wasn't like when I was a kid. When I was a kid, my uncle was coming. I just, I couldn't wait. 30 years came and went, and it was nice, but... When the alarm went off at 4.30 and I, I wanted to shoot the alarm clock, I said, what, what am, I must be crazy getting up at this hour. 
what happened? I lost some of my excitement for fishing. I love those guys. I love going with them. But we need to do it a little later. They said, well, the fish aren't biting. And, you know, the sun comes. Well, anyway. You get what I'm trying to say? I lost some of my what? Enthusiasm for fishing. In the same way, we can lose our enthusiasm for winning souls. And by the way, I think about if I can get that excited about catching a fish when I was a kid, how much more excited should we be about saving somebody from an eternal hell? You know, if we can get that excited about, you know, deer season shooting a deer or or winning a golf tournament or winning a Super Bowl, I mean, shouldn't we get at least as excited over saving somebody from an eternity in hell? But just as my excitement for fishing kind of waned over the years, my excitement for soul winning kind of waned a little bit also. I remember when I was in high school, I was a soul winner. I told people about Jesus everywhere I went. And they ridiculed me and they made fun of me, but I didn't care. I told people about Jesus every place I went in that school. It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I, I loved the Lord. I still love Him just as much, but I, I, I just couldn't tell people enough about Jesus. And the ridicule didn't bother me too much. I guess it did a little bit. Nobody likes to be ridiculed. But I remember I remained a fervent soul winner. Now I want you to listen carefully to this. I remained a fervent soul winner until I got hooked up with the wrong church. You mean you were a fervent soul winner until you went to church? Yes, until I went to the wrong church. The church that I went to, this is many years ago, was an inside the four walls minded church. The emphasis was only on just coming to the services. Now, how many of you know coming to the services is important? Because it's a time for you to be cleaned and edified, right? And and, and geared back up for going out and telling people about Jesus. But I became, this church was an inside-the-four-walls-minded church. It was all about coming to the services. The, 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 the services were almost more important than God. Did you get what I just said? Did you get what I just said? Attending the extracurricular meetings was like if you didn't do that, it was like, it was like, complete sin emphasis was put on the, you know the election of elders and deacons and and the emphasis was put on the fundraisers that had to be done so that the pastor's bless me fund was always full so that he could go to this meeting and that meeting or that he'd always have a birthday present It was a soap opera atmosphere. And then the quote-unquote Holy Ghost meetings came along. How many of you know I love the Holy Ghost? And I love the moving of the Holy Ghost. 
But I was standing there watching that one, one day and he had Christians. They were rolling on the, on the floor and, and laughing and, and, and going on acting like a bunch of hilarious hyenas. While the, and so you had all these Christians there acting like fools and nuts. How many of you know the Holy Ghost is not a fool and a nut? Sometimes react in such a way that he get, he, he, people you know, will act like fools and nuts. They shouldn't, though. There's nothing foolish or nutty about the Holy Ghost. Say amen. I love him with all my heart. And some of you may not even realize, but when the quote-unquote Holy Ghost meetings came along and laughing and going, how many of you know I believe in the joy of the Lord? And there is a laughter in the Holy Ghost. And there is a dance in the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I'm all for that. But I watched as that started, that revival, quote-unquote, of joy many years ago. Many of you for, may, may not know what I'm talking about. But it started out, it was really good, it was really of God. But, it, but how many of you know, you can, you, can, you can take something that's God and go too far with it. And I, and I watched one day, and I thought, these people are acting like a bunch of fools. And making me feel like a dodo because I wasn't acting like a fool. Making me feel like I was unspiritual because I wasn't running around the room all the time and rolling on the floor and acting like a nut. And I got to thinking, we've got all these Christians here acting like fools and the community's going to hell in a handbasket. Now what good is that? Can you say amen? You okay? Are you still with me or are you going home? And I was in that, in that atmosphere... And the only time soul winning was talked about was with the goal of we have to do this to grow the church and make the church more successful. I know this, that if Christians are doing what they're supposed to be doing by going out and telling people about the Lord, the church will grow. I would rejoice just to see more people get saved. And that's the best kind of growth you could have is people getting saved. Did you hear me? The kind of growth you don't want in your church is a a church across town split and half those people are coming over here. You don't want that kind of growth. Because you know what? The people that did what they did over there, after a year or two, they'll do the same thing to me. I've lived it. I've watched it. It's happened to me. The best kind of growth you can have is going out and getting lost people saved. Did you hear me? And, and you say, why did I share that about that church? Am I being judgmental? No, no. I'm just, it's just a real life example that I lived. And I went in there, a vibrant soul winner. And after several years of being in there, I was so inside the four walls minded that I was really pretty well useless. Did you hear me? And now that church sits out in Allenton by Eureka, across from Highway 44, right? I'm sorry, across Highway 44 from Six Flags. That church is closed down, it's abandoned, and it lay in ruins to this day. I don't ever want that to happen to this church. Do you? And it didn't have to be that way, but that's what happens when you're inside the four walls minded. 
If I'm not mistaken, it's a church in Ephesus, the first church that the Lord addresses in the book of Revelation chapter 2. He said, you've lost your first love. He said, repent or else, or else I will remove your candlestick. In other words, in everyday language, turn it around, repent, or I'm going to close your church down. hundred years came and went approximately, and the Lord shut that church down. Something, isn't it? That's one reason we put so much emphasis on these tracks. If you haven't been handing these out, I want to encourage you to do so. See, the power of God is so strong on me right now, I can hardly stand up here. And what am I talking about? Soul winning. Christianity, see, this is not a put-down message. This is a wake-us-all-up message. Let's... You understand that? See, if you leave here feeling beat down today, you misunderstood everything I've said. I'm just trying to encourage us all, including me. I need to do a better job. I would pray, God, that I'd get that zeal back. And I'd pray, God, that you'd have the same zeal that I had when I was in high school. Christianity, listen to me, and church attendance must, realize I say must, must, be more than a time of singing. And thank God for the singing and the worship. You could never say too much about that. That's wonderful. Church attendance must be more than just hearing the word. Thank God you could never hear the word too much. But if you don't ever put it into practice, what good is it? Huh? If all you know is the meaning of a bunch of Greek words and why Paul wrote the book of Philippians and why wrote the book, if that's all you got, you got nothing if you're not going and sharing it with somebody. Am I right? And church must be more than just socializing. And thank God for socializing and fellowship. I believe in that. Did you know that some Christians, I'm talking over doing this for a year, years before I ever started this church, and even into the present hour, and, and I don't know about now, but, but I know there was a time where the biggest decision Christians made was where are we going to go for lunch on Sunday after the service? How many of you know that we ought to be... There's nothing wrong with going out for lunch. Say amen. I think it's great. But, but that shouldn't be the main thing we think about all week. Is that right? There's nothing wrong with that. But it, the main thing we should be thinking about is who can we, how, can we, how can we be more of effective of a soul winner? Is that right? And that's why we have these tracks for you. I don't want this church to wind up like that church out in Allenton. I don't want us to be so inside the four walls minded that we're no good out in the, in, in the everyday world in which we live. Let's be like Jesus. He touched more people in his everyday life being out, outside of the synagogue than he ever did inside the synagogue. And thank God for what he did inside. Listen, do you think I'm demeaning the inside the four walls? I'm not. Very important. But it should be to clean you so that, you know what I mean, clean you up, edify you, so you can go out and be fishermen, fishers of men. Is that right? Just think about this and I'll close. I'm, I went a little long, but I, but I want you to get this and I'll close. These are just some things I did, me and Diane did this last week. There was a waitress when we went out to eat the other day. We went to a pizza place because she made me go. And uh, we gave a, an excellent tip and a track 
And it blessed the waitress's socks off. And she couldn't even hardly believe it. My gosh, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. We didn't even tell her anything about Jesus. We just gave her a great tip and left her a track. You know, that could speak volumes more than saying, Hey, do you know you're going to hell? I want to tell you, you're going to hell. We're going to preach. Now, you know what I'm saying? We left her a tip and we left her the gospel message. You know, that can preach volumes to people. I was jogging just the other day. I started jogging and I jog almost every evening throughout these subdivisions. And I was just running along and I run by lots of people. You know, they're walking their dogs or whatever. But I was just running, running along and there was this man and the two boys and they had golf clubs. And I felt the leading of the Spirit of God. And I just kind of drawing. And, I, and you know, I didn't run over and say, hey, do you know you're going to hell? I didn't do that. I just said, oh, you guys, are you guys golfers? Well, yeah, we're golfers, really. And then I talked a little bit, and then, and then I said, you know what, I pastor this church up the, up the street here, Summit Church, and I didn't say any more. And then I greeted the guy, and I said, it's good to meet you. My name's Terry. And he said, what? He said, I said, Terry. He said, my name's Terry, too. <laughs> now, you see, that's very simple, but that's a seed. We might see them show up here at church one day. What if I went up and said, you know, I pastor that church up there and you need to get saved and blah, blah. You know, that's probably not going to be so effective. And then the last thing, I went up to visit Rebecca last uh, Sunday after the service. I went up to visit her at the hospital and I got it. We was on the top floor. I got on the elevator. This was a good one. I, and, I'm st- and, and, and I got on. There's this other fellow there. He was a patient and his wife, I guess. And they're there and I'm here. We're on the top floor and, and I'm on the elevator. They step on and I hit the button and this lady's, this computerized lady's voice comes on and she says, going down. And just that quick, I said to them, I said, you know, you don't want to hear that when you die. <laughs> and, 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 and they kind of looked at each other, and they, you know, and I didn't feel impressed to say anything else. But, you know, just something simple like that. You okay? And so that's what I want all of us to, I want us to be a little more strategic. You okay? I mean, you don't want to hear that when you're going, when you die, going down, you <laughs> It's like the one guy said, should I be cremated or not? And the one preacher said, brother, when I die, I don't want there to be anything on fire. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but I just would pray that we would all be a little more in, ingen, ingen, more ingenuity on just little things. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to preach a sermon, but just little things. Most important thing we can do. Did you get anything out of this today? So, so, and, and then listen, you don't have to be a net fisherman. You don't have to be an evangelist, win 10,000 people. Just be a pole fisherman. Just if you can win one here or there, win one here or there to the Lord. And you know that one you catch might be a net fisherman. Did you know that? So there's no business like what? Soul business. Stand with me if you would. Sorry I went a little bit long, but it's all right. I, I try to keep it about 35 minutes, 40 minutes, but... Get your track. Does everybody have a track? Get your track. We're going to pray over these and we'll go. I look around. I don't see anybody who's lost that I know of. So there's no reason to make an altar call for salvation. But take your track 